Okay. All right, now we're moving on to the Gospel of Luke. And uh, the ending. Now, today, although we'll get to it in a second, but uh, the question is for us to kind of ponder today is have you ever been at a point in your point in time in your life where it's been hard to make sense of you know your past whether it be short past or your whole life and at the same time unable to see what's the point of what happened next or even struggling to see what happens next all right so you're you're, have you ever been in a point in your life where it's hard to figure out what why you're why you're there in the first place, and where you're heading next. Because if you've ever been in that point, then the Gospel of Luke is really helpful for you. Very helpful. But before we get to that, you know, I just want to just review real quick. Mark's Gospel, the ending was hurried, unrefined, abrupt, and leaves us here's, you know, making the next move. Mark's all about the Christian life, living it out. So, you, you, you know, the first move is, you know, doing something. Matthew, Matthew's ending is very measured, carefully arranged, like a teacher, but also at the same point serves the purpose of uh, empowering us to, to see, to wonder what's next. So the Gospel of Luke is a long story. So if, if you've been around for a long time, you can relate to Luke's story. It's very long. It's, it's, it's about twice as long as the Gospel of Mark. There's 28 cha- uh, 28, 24 chapters in, in Luke, but the actual words are twice as much as Mark. And it plods along. The symbol for Luke is the ox. So it's very appropriate. And unlike Mark, his Greek is very refined. I mean, Luke is is smooth, this is a very cultured, kind of, quote-unquote, beautiful book to read. It's two volumes, obviously Luke and Acts. I don't know if you guys knew that, but the guy who wrote Luke also wrote Acts, and the story actually is to be told as, as one whole story, but when they arranged the books of the Bible, they stuck John in the middle. So what's great about this, though, is that if you you know your story could be very long, and sometimes we always when we talk about people, how you doing? It's a loaded question, right? Because you might get a long story, one that you don't really want to hear. Um, the correct answer is fine. Yeah, yeah I, I never ask that question unless I really want to know. Now sometimes it slips out, and I'm like, oh, nice, because I'm a pastor, especially in social studies. Not necessarily like at church here, but uh, social settings, you know, people say, I'll find out I'm a pastor, and I'll say, how are you doing? Let me tell you. Uh, in fact, I went, this last Sunday, I went to go see Jerry Holman in the hospital, and afterwards, um, this lady was walking with her husband, and she goes, are you a Catholic priest? And I said, uh, uh, n- no, I'm not a Roman Catholic priest. Um, but, you know, what's your, what's your story? What's up? Terrible idea. I should not have said that. <laughs> I should have said no. Your work? Call your parish, Pastor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, but anyway, so then she proceeded to tell me everything. everything. Why she was in the hospital, which was a little too intimate. Um, and then, and then, why she wanted a Catholic priest? And I said, "Well, you know what? Um, there is a Catholic priest who comes here all the time. He's a very nice man. There's actually a couple, and so I'm sh- if they're not here, you know, in the next hour, or so they'll be here later this afternoon for sure." Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's one of those moments where I'm thinking, this woman's story—it's a long story, and it wasn't the whole story, okay? Um, but what was interesting is, is that she, in that moment, wanted more to her story. Like, she, she, she wasn't ready to finish. She wasn't ready to be done with her story. And what's great about that is, even though it's a long story, and we all might have a long story, like Luke and Acts, 
really long story. There could be something more to it, or there could be something new to it. I mean, that, that's the important thing about Luke and Acts is that it's a very, very, uh, very you know, precise story with a lot of information and. You know, if you were to read it, you would find out that Luke, who wrote it, you know, was very intentional about gathering information from eyewitnesses and, you know, putting it all together. So you would think at the end, hey, you know, we're going to have this nice closure to it. But once again, at the end of the gospel, we find out that there's, there's not a nice closure to it. There's not, it's not the end of the story. There is something still yet to be done. And so, yeah, yeah. so, if, I mean, we might not think about that, but I think it's important for us that as we read the ending of the Gospels, we realize that the story could be a long story, but yet at the same time there could be more or, or something new. Because I think the more businesses saying, hey, you know, I've had a good life, and I've remained faithful, and God's blessed me, and so we kind of think, that's it. But what the gospel shows is that there's more to it. There could be, you're not done yet, and you shouldn't really kind of be complacent and settle. Or you could be the exact opposite. I've been unfaithful, and I feel like God hasn't blessed me. And you could come into this point, and, and the gospel of Luke could say, but guess what? Something new is happening. Something can change. So what I really think about in the gospel of Luke is that Jesus stands in the middle of time. He's, he's a hinge, in a sense, or a doorway, or however we want to talk about it. But he's, he's a person that allows us to see the past and then also see what's up next. So, so that's the question. Have you ever been at a point, and I didn't proofread this, so this is, I think this is a run-on sentence. Have you ever been at a point in a time in your life where you're not able to make sense of what happened? and unable to see what is the point of what happens next. I would be, I would be uh, surprised if we haven't all been at a point like that in our life. So, you know, could be in the middle of it right now. But we'll find out is that uh, the disciples are pretty helpful for us, and Jesus obviously is helpful for us if, if we've been in that moment. Because what Luke shows us is that we have these nice stories. It's a, it's a really nice resurrection account we have the, you know, the, the point at the tomb. Then we have the story of the road to Emmaus where these two guys are walking. And then we also have Jesus coming back to the 11, uh, the 11 apostles and eating breakfast with him. And, and uh, then you know, we have this nice little ascension story. And then when we get into Act, Acts 1 again, you know, there's this nice... So the event, uh, resurrection events are fuller, more detailed, but at the same time... Even though we have more information, that doesn't mean we're actually able to understand it. And that's something, too, to think about. Oftentimes, we think that we just need more information to figure this out. And sometimes when we're communicating to people, the, the, the picture is so clear in our mind. And we're, we're conveying the story to somebody else, and they just don't get it. So you're thinking, oh, it's a matter of information. I'm going to just tell them more information, and it will all make sense. But we find out that it's not the case. <laughs> Sometimes you can, just, you can just talk to somebody forever and ever and give them precise details. But at the end, they still are not tracking. Often it happens with men. But I have a feeling that's more about listening than actual comprehension. All right, so, so we've got to figure out what happened. So turn to Luke chapter 24. And, it, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long chapter. It's 53 verses, so we're not going to sit here and read all 53. So I'm just going to kind of point and click. But if you want to, you know, follow along in your Bible, it's okay. I won't be offended because um, it's good to read it. Growing up, you know, I grew up in the Baptist church, and, you know, sermons were very long. You know, 30, 45 minutes. Um, and eventually, you know, I just I couldn't pay attention anymore. And so 
I would just pick up the Pew Bible and start reading. Now, my mom still does that. <laughs> I grew up in Wisconsin. Yeah, if I still have the accent, it's, yeah, don't be fooled. I do drink out of bubblers. Yep. I drink pop, not soda. I drink, I drink milk. Not milk. Milk. Yeah. And I have grocery bags. Not bags. Oh, yeah, cricks. Yep. Roofs. Not roofs. Roofs. Um, yeah, there's a variety of. Okay, anywho. So, yeah, if worse comes to worse, I always read the Bible. So, you know, if, if you're just kind of losing track of what we're talking about, just go ahead and read chapter 24. It's okay. I'll be good. <laughs> All right. So, first, we have uh, chapter 24, kind of 1 through, what is it, 12, I think. And many, we kind of gone over these accounts in Matthew and Mark. So, I don't really spend, spend too much time uh, in this account, there's angels. There's two. Um, so, you know, I can't figure out why that all is, but it's just every gospel is different. So, Luke 24, verse 4. While they, that's the women, were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. I'm sorry, two men. That's right. And they were frightened, bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. So what we have here is a very peculiar situation where the women are expecting what? And then they, but what do they get? Okay, so this is very interesting. But then what are, what are the, two, the two guys in dazzling apparel, which I'm not sure exactly what to, you know, I, I, literally it means bright white, but, you know, I, I don't know. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking like Liberace maybe. Yeah, I could. I, it would be interesting to picture that. Because I'm thinking, Luke, you know, like I said, Luke's very refined, and it, so it would just be a very surreal moment, I'm thinking. And that, that, could, that could work with the story. Yeah, you know, maybe some flair. They need some, yeah, Vegas, Vegas, uh, Vegas Elvis. All right, anyways, okay. So they're expecting death, and, well, they get an empty tomb, but the words from the men are living. So, so what, at the point right now is what we're seeing here is that there's two realities coming together. Or, or kind of uh, the reality of death and the reality of life. And what the angels are saying to the women is that you don't, you, you don't have the right eyes. Basically, we're looking at the same thing, and you see death, but we see life. And what, but they forgot something. They forgot Jesus' words. And so what they do, the, the men, is they remind of Jesus' words. And when they say they remembered, that is a sign of belief. Do this in remembrance of me. When we do that, we do that because there's, uh, there's belief, there, there's action, there's faith going on there. So, um, so something happened. That is the opposite of what they thought. But what the men are telling them is that they need to work, work based on that something new. So, so now they have to see life according to, according to what? The empty tomb, which is ironic. Why is that ironic? Because they come to an empty tomb, and what do they see? Nothing. Yeah, right. So they actually see nothing. So this is very peculiar. The Bible is very strange in this respect. A sign of the resurrection is nothing. <laughs> so, um, which is always funny because, you know, the, the, I think I might have mentioned this before. Many people say the sign of a resurrection is an empty cross. You know, hey, why, why do we have a crucifix? Jesus got down from the cross. I.e., that's a sign of the resurrection. But what the Gospel of Luke is very clear about, and John also, the Gospel of John, is that an empty tomb is a sign of the resurrection. 
So, that's a very strange way of seeing reality, seeing nothing. But at the same time, when they see nothing, what do they believe? That Jesus is alive. He's, he's here. Okay, so, that's very, that's very peculiar. And I'll just keep going. So, they believe, they, they are, they remembered, and they are on their way back to tell the eleven... What happened? But see verse, verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Now the word idle tale is very, I, don't, I mean, I, don't, it, I guess that's kind of an okay way of saying that, but it basically it's nonsense. So a little patronizing, I think, maybe, you know, men. Tough time understanding things. If we haven't figured that out, women kind of understand things a little easier than men. You know, in resurrection accounts. All three right now, the women are tracking faster than the men. So I don't know if that's a personal experience of you guys, but... Um, well, besides the point, this was really just a bunch of women coming and telling this crazy tale. It wasn't the two dazzling guys outside. Right. Again, now, now we go back to the struggle of, of things new, working things new. And that, that theme is all in, you know... In, in this, the other two gospels we talked about, but it's it's pretty interesting here because of the idle tale. It's empty talk. It's nonsense. So this goes back to what I said earlier. I know the words you are saying. I mean, I understand each meaning of those words individually, but at the same time, I do not understand a single word coming out of your mouth. Another example of two realities: the true one and the false one. The true one now is defined by this empty tomb, and the false one is defined by their own experience. It's a perception issue. They're seeing the same thing. They're hearing the same thing. Well, obviously the women are talking, but they're hearing the same words. But one is new life, why we're here. I mean, they're telling the story of the resurrection. That's why we're here. That's why we believe. And then the disciples themselves, it's a sign of unbelief. It's the exact opposite. So that's, that's a very peculiar situation. However, Peter, come through, coming through here. This is, uh, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping in and look, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what happened. Now you'll get more explicit in John, but so stooping in, though, you got to think about you got to think in terms of image. When someone stoops, what do they have to do? They have to, yeah. So what's this sign of? Yeah, humble humility. He he's he's entering into the. Now where is he entering though? Too, he's entering into the space of the resurrection. So he's entering into this new life. Humbled. Again, what does he see? Nothing. Okay? But he leaves there marveling. This is, this is uh, he's struggling with this new reality. Most of the time we marvel at it because it's so wonderful, it's awesome. Now, that's part of it. It's part of Peter's thing. But on the other side is he's struggling, he's at, he's at the crux now. The old life and the new life. And he is wondering if this is, this is real. This is, this is. And we do have confirmation later that he, this, he's on the way. He's out of the old life into the new life. Because he humbled himself and he was willing to receive, well, nothing. Okay. So, and, and so this is important. So these, these 12, uh, these 11 apostles, 10 actually, minus Peter, although Peter's at the crux. Have you ever talked to someone whose mind is closed because he or she, frankly, I, I wrote too boring, that might be too harsh, too boring, unimaginative, depressed, angry, sad, or whatever about life that no matter what you say or do, they just don't get it. Have you ever had that experience in your life? Again, this goes back to what I talked about. We, you might say, hey, I just, if I talk clear, or I tell them more information, they'll get it. 
Yeah, or, all right, are you listening to me? Yes. What did I just say? And they'll say exactly what you said. But yet they still don't get it. Well, you know, but I have parishioners, so. Although, I mean, I mean, it doesn't matter. I think, I mean, you, you can talk with your parents. I mean, you, you just, this is what's happening here. This is the phenomenon that's happening here, and we'll see it a little bit more extreme in the two from, uh, on the road to Emmaus. So what we have here in the resurrection is that something that for us, we're thinking, once again, if Jesus were to rise from the dead, walk down Main Street Wheaton, this would be just, I mean, people would understand it and get it. But yet what the Gospel of Luke is saying is that, first of all, nothing communicates everything. And yet, even if you are more clear, you show more, I'm going to show more love. I'm going to love these people. And they're going to just return love. Right? So, Think, think uh, in terms of how this can be applied to your own life and then realize that the Bible is talking about that. You know, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to get these people to love me. But yet, they don't return the love. What's going on here? Maybe because you're working on two different realities and how do you struggle to deal with those two? So now let's turn to the Emmaus story. The Emmaus story, for those who don't know, there's two disciples, one named Cleopas and another unnamed disciple, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And, and we actually we don't actually really know where Emmaus is. I mean, we kind of know, but it's kind of a strange thing. Okay, doesn't really matter. They're walking to some place. And Jesus comes up to them, walks with them, but yet they don't recognize him. So let's... let's uh, Verse 15, 24, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself, was so, okay, so walking and discussing, I don't know if we remembered, when we make the trip, according to the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, but especially Mark, when we walk from Jerusalem to Galilee to see Jesus, we're walking together and we are talking and discussing what's happened. Right? The young man in the tomb says, go back to Galilee, there you will see Jesus. And so we're making this trip, and we're working out the end of the story in the Gospel of Mark. So we see this in real time now with these two disciples. We don't have any idea who they are. Well, we just know one is Cleopas. Oh, okay. But they're disciples. They're, with, they're, they're part of the group that followed Jesus, but they're not part of the 11. And, and this is a little tangent about the Gospel of Luke, is that there's a strat. There's there's kind of there's like the eleven, which are like the inner circle, and then we have an outer circle, and that was about 120. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there could be a lot of questions about like how many people are at the Lord's supper, you know, the first Lord's supper, and you know, we don't, I don't know. We know there is at least 12. Okay. Jesus drew near. And went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Uh, Renaissance art, very popular image of the resurrected Jesus is what? What's unique about him, if you, if you guys know paintings at all? One of my favorite paintings by Caravaggio is the Emmaus meal. And Jesus is missing something. He doesn't have a beard. He looks young. Sometimes he actually even looks feminine a little bit. Unfortunately, that's probably not quite right. He doesn't look Jewish, right? Well, that's, that's a whole different issue. But yes, the whole point is that, so sometimes when we read this, this, this Bible verse, we're thinking that Jesus maybe had a different image. But that's not actually what the Bible says. Kept from recognizing him in the Greek is actually... Like they had a hand over their eyeballs. They were in the dark still, in a sense. Well, there's no, yeah, we, we don't know, but there's no reason why he wouldn't look the same. Yeah, I mean, we don't know. We have to, so, so now we're working under presumption. However, 
okay, this is, this is something in terms of like kind of natural phenomenon. When we, let's say we're talking about one subject, right? We are presuming that we're talking about that one subject until what? Until we say, okay, let's, let's not talk about that anymore. Let's talk about this. So the frame of mind is, is that since Jesus was, you know, this, this person, he died, and then when he rose again, our presumption should be that he, he's like that new person. I mean, he's like that person still. There's no, there's no language in terms of like, but he was a different form. He was, so we should presume that he's the same. And the Greek, though, like I just said, kind of supports that because it's, it's this veil over it. Jesus isn't the problem, is what I'm getting at. Is that it's not that Jesus was hard to like. Again, we're working under, we're seeing the same thing, but one doesn't recognize him, and well, eventually he will though. Nancy. Right. <laughs> this is true, actually. Uh, yeah, that that's all part and parcel of of. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So, anyways, so. But I, I'm working under the presumption that he is the same. So the, the appearance wasn't the problem. It's not that Jesus was putting something over them, like you know, he was tricking them. This isn't a test of faith. What we're getting at is that they can't make sense of what happened. They can't make sense of the death of Jesus, and they can't make sense of the witness because they know about what the women had said to the 11 apostles. So they're looking back at their life, and they can't make sense of it. So even though what's true and real, what they've been looking for is standing in front of them, it's so far outside their realm of reality, they just don't get it. And that's very important. I I, I think I might have put that somewhere at some time. Think about it in terms of a full sponge. You have a sponge full of water. What can that sponge not do? Take more water. Or think about a child that's eating cookies and the mouth is just completely full, right? You might give your son, let's say Isaac. (laughs) You give him three cookies, all three are going in his mouth at once. You give him a four, guess what he's going to try to do? Stick it in there, but will it go in there? No, it's going to fall off. He just can't take it. This is what's happening in the Maya story, is that they just can't take it. It's, it. They are so full of what's happening, they can't understand it. They need somebody to open up their mind. And when you open it, you create what? More room, more space. And you can then receive what's happening. All right, question. Don't know, and I don't want to speculate. We close our own eyes? Yes, we do. We do live in denial. They were kept. Yep, they had the hand over their eyeballs. We just don't know why. However, based on the women's experience, again, we're working under the same theme, is that the women were expecting one thing, Right? death, but they got life. And now this is, the, this is the struggle. Same thing's happening with these two men. Because they say, we thought that this guy was the Messiah, but yet he died. And it's been three days. So they're still working under the old way. Even though the new way is standing right in front of them. Carol. Yeah. So let's go back to the point. You think you're going to tell more information. You think you're going to tell more clear, but yet they just don't get it. So maybe we need three stories of the same thing. The, the one difference, though, Carol, is that the revelation is a little different in each one. So, so the women receive the word of the men. The Emmaus story, what do they get? What opens their minds? Jesus is in the breaking of the bread. Well, what do they need in order to recognize them? I've already, we've already said the word. Well, no, no, no. Eyes of faith, but what do they actually need to see? Nothing. 
This is very important. I, I, it might be silly, but let's read what happens in the road to Emmaus. Um, uh, verse uh, 30. When he was at, okay, so they, they, they're traveling. He says, oh, foolish ones. Then he takes the Bible and teaches. That's a great Bible study. I would love to be interested in, you know, to hear that. Then they say, they, they say, please stay with us. Stay, you know, it's the the, the Tezé song. Yep. So, so this is this is that. Now the thing is though is that when they they petition him to stay, they're actually like begging him. They're like clinging him because they need they need him to stay. This is not like, hey, you know, it's kind of late. You know, hey, well, you know, it's kind of dangerous. Why don't you stay with us? They're they're pretty. They urge him strongly. It's not quite the poetic license I would have liked to have seen. Okay, anyways, so he stays. When he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed, broke it, gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Now, we are thinking, too, chronologically, because that's how we are. So we're thinking, boop, boop, boom. But this is all happening at once. That word and is a... All right, anyway, I'm not going to get into the Greek, but those are joining... Not it's it's a it's a chi it's a conjoining chi. So how do you say something all happened at once? You just add a bunch of ands, and they're all together. So what we have here is just like the women, Peter, and now the Emmaus story. They see nothing, but at the same time, when they see nothing, they see everything. So this is important for us. It's not that they don't see anything. Okay, they see they see something. They see. They see what they need to see. They actually see Jesus. All right. So their eyes were open. They recognized him, but he was invisible. Just like Peter saw the empty tomb and he got it. They actually recognized slash knew, and that's important because those are kind of the same Greek words. When you recognize him, they know him. It's not like just a like, oh, yeah, hey, you know, I, you have a familiar face. I recognize your face, but what's your name again? Oh, yeah, okay. When they recognize him, they, they actually know him. I mean, they, they knew, so they, but they know him differently. It was in the breaking of the bread. The Eucharist was the new way of knowing, recognizing Jesus. And with this new way of knowing, Jesus comes with a new way of being. So they have a whole new life now. They have a whole new way of working with this so now, maybe I said this. Oh, yeah, so are you still working under the old way? So think about it in terms of what I talked about before. Have you been so a point in your life where you can't make sense of what happened because maybe you're too bored, you're, you're, you haven't been imagined enough, you're depressed, you're angry? So what's happening is, is, so the one who hurt you, are you still letting this person dictate your life? That's the old way. And in this scenario, it's the death. Are you letting the death of Jesus dictate how you are going to, and when I say death, I mean the idea that he's not risen from the dead. He's still dead. Are you letting death dictate how you see your life? Is that still, and I think we probably know people like that. You know, I don't want to get too intimate, but I mean the reality is, is we know somebody who's been in a bad relationship, but yet that person First of all, it might dictate the person's life, the abused life. Or even after that relationship has been broken off, it still affects the way they live. They actually haven't separated and are in a new life. So how do you get out from under this? All right, that's kind of what's happening. How do you get out from that? And uh, Jesus will, well, it's Jesus, but how does that happen? So this is all happening now, is that these two two uh, disciples are in a a point now where their minds have been opened and the fullness of the resurrection has come crashing into that fullness. They're going to now work under a whole new life that's not dictated by an empty body. I'm sorry, by a dead body, but by what? An empty tomb. So now we go with the 11 apostles. Um, verse 37, Jesus shows up, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. 
And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? It's a legitimate question. You were expecting me, weren't you? But what's interesting is in all three accounts so far, we've had scared, we've been fearful and doubtful. And I just asked the question, are you bored with that response? (laughs) Because what's interesting is sometimes in our lives when we're scared and we have doubts, if you ever come into the presence of someone who's confident and knows, they almost treat your fears and doubts. You might, you might feel like they don't, they, don't, they don't appreciate the way I feel right now. It's not so much that. It's just that you know, they've been there, they've done that, and guess what? They know the way out. So guess what? Get in line and let's go. Actually, have I ever told you a story about the man who fell in the hole? Have I ever told you that? Yeah, this is a good story. man's walking down the street, falls into a hole. Huge hole, can't get out by himself. He starts saying, help, help, help. And uh, a medical doctor walks by. The doctor says, hey, what's wrong? He's like, I'm in a hole, can't get out. It's like, interesting. Pulls out a pad of paper out of his uh, white coat, <laughs> writes a prescription, throws it down. The guy's like, what? That doesn't help me. Psychologist comes by. Uh, if anybody, I mean, I'm going offen- to offend myself here in a second. So, <laughs> Psychologist walks by and Guy says, hey, I'm in a hole. Help me out. Guy says, okay, what's wrong? And they talk for about 50 minutes. He says, I think we made a lot of progress this week. I'll come back next week. <laughs> what? I'm still stuck in a hole. Then a priest walks by, and this is where I offend myself. The priest walks by and says, you know, what's wrong? Guy says, I, I'm in a hole. He's like, okay. Well, just say your prayers. Five Hail Marys, ten Our Fathers. And he walks away. Well, I'm still in a hole here. Then his friend walks by. Now, what are you doing in a hole? I'm in a hole. I can't get out. I need help. And what does the friend do? He jumps in. Now this guy's livid. (laughs) Why are you in the... Now you're in the hole, too! He's like, I've been in this hole before. I know exactly how to get out. Let's go. What the friend does is he doesn't engage in the hole. Because... Frankly, how you got there, it it doesn't matter. What you need is somebody to lead you out. And you can sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to tell you how to handle my problems. But that would just simply say to your friend who jumped into the hole, let's just stay in the hole a little bit longer. There's a warped sense that we want to stay in the hole because we're comfortable with the pain and the struggle. We think this gives meaning to our life. But the man who jumps in the hole, the one who knows the way, says, you're in a hole, and this is terrible. Why would you want to spend another second in here? Let's get out. And so what we're finding out here, and now we're in the third gospel, is that the disciples are in a hole, but Jesus has jumped into it, and he knows the way, and he's not interested in engaging them on that level. What he wants is them to get out of the old way and into the new. So, you know, sometimes, yeah, sometimes what could be perceived as bored is just simple, I know, I know what to do here. You don't. You're in the hole. I mean, come on. You don't know how to get out. So just listen and go. Let's go. So, um, what, now, what's interesting, though, is, is that uh, these disciples disbelieved for joy and were marveling. So I've, I actually didn't write that down, which verse that is. Verse 41, and while they, okay, so Jesus says, hey, touch my hand, see this, you know, and he really engages them. While they, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, I don't know if you rubbed his tummy, but I'm hungry. Got something to eat. What's interesting is disbelief for joy is that, again, this goes back to this whole reality is that there's too much. They just can't believe it. This, okay, wait. So you're not going to talk about my hole. If you want to use that analogy. You're not, not going to sit here and talk about it? You're just going to... You mean, you mean that's all I needed to do is get out of this hole just follow you? What? I can't believe this! That's disbelief or joy. Something that is just so overwhelmingly amazing, but yet at the same time simple. I, just, I can't believe it. 
I, I, can't, I can't believe it. And then marveling, which echoes Peter. I'm sorry, but I forgot to show you. Um, verse 34. How do we know that Peter, in fact, believed when he left that tomb? It's from verse 34. The Lord has risen indeed. So the two go back to the apostles and say, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. But uh, No, no, these are the two disciples, Cleopas and the unnamed disciple, saying to the eleven apostles, the Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. But yet, what has Simon actually seen? Simon Peter. Empty. Empty. Exactly. So the, the two, Jesus appeared to them when he was, what? Vanished. Peter appeared to Jesus when he... Empty. And so now, we have the eleven apostles. And guess what? At the end of the Luke, what happens at the end of Luke? Jesus what? He ascends. He's not there. Or he's there, but he's there in a different way now. Life has changed fundamentally. So the empty tomb, the vanishing and the breaking of the bread, and the ascension are all connected to the reality that this is a new way of understanding our relationship with Jesus. And by understanding that, then our understanding with life. So I ask these questions. Is something too good to be true? A variety of ways, meaning that your pain and suffering, your, your old way, your old life, a solution could be presented that seems so simple that it can't be true. Like, no, no, I've been in this mess for 40 years, and I, I think my solution should, be, should take a while because we want, we want to feel good about the mess that we've been in, like it was legitimate. You mean I wasted my 40 years being in this mess? Sometimes we like to make, make our... Uh, which child? Nora. Nora, all right. <laughs> so it's, sometimes we spend our life and we're thinking, oh, hey, this is such a big deal. And that's all that needed to happen? That's that, No, that can't be right. And, we, and then what do we do? We say, forget it. I'm not, I'm not going to... I'm not going to partake of that solution. Um, that happens throughout the Gospels, by the way. The rich young man, especially. He says, hey, what do I need to inherit eternal life? In the Gospel of Luke, it's different from the Mark one. but And Jesus says, it's simple. Follow the Ten Commandments. I've already done those. So he should said, oh, good, great. I'm on my way. He's like, ah. Yeah, that's not right. And what does he ask then? And then what rules? Do you guys know what follows after that? Good Samaritan, yeah. Well, yeah, sell everything. Yeah, he, yeah. so good Samaritan. So, okay. So we've seen this happen in the Gospel of Luke, is that someone like Jesus is like, it's right in front of your face. What? It's got to be more complicated than that because I spent all this time in pain and suffering. Which is ironic, because we would think if it was a simple solution, we'd be like, this is great. I don't have to live this way anymore? Fantastic. Well, human nature is a funny thing. All right, so the resurrection and its meaning are so far beyond the, so the, two, the, the, the 11 apostles. Beyond their horizon of knowledge, they simply have trouble swallowing it all. It's too much. This is where the full sponge and, and the child with the mouth full of cookies um, so it takes Jesus opening their, their uh, minds, and that's in verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it's written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these, you are witnesses of these things. So now they're the ones who jump into the hole because Jesus jumped into theirs. So making sense of it all, and this is where it all comes together now. So Carol's right. We have these, these uh, it, it's, it's a uh, circle where you keep coming back to the same point in three different ways. It's a very biblical notion. It's all over the Old Testament. 
Gospel of John especially, too, in the New Testament. All right. The events, things that happened, are the death and resurrection. These events are the ones everyone is struggling to comprehend and believe. These things happened. And so now Jesus is saying that everything up to now has been part of a plan. And in Luke, we have this Greek word. It's called, it's day. It's D-E-I, delta epsilon, iota, which means it is necessary. So everything that's happened has been part of a plan. But now Jesus will give meaning to those events. So things in your life, whether it's a long story, short story, you're in the middle of time, not quite understanding what happened, and not quite understanding what's going to happen next, Jesus says, this is what's happened. These are the events. But those events are the ones that we can't understand. But then Jesus gives the meaning of the events, and that's the forgiveness of sins. It's repentance and forgiveness. So if, you know, sometimes we, under, we don't understand the facts themselves. And a lot of times, you know, as pastors, I have, you know, people who come and tell me the story, and I'm like, well, that's actually not what happened. This is what happened. And we're trying to figure out, you know, there's this thing that it's hard to get even the facts straight. And then on top of that, to figure out what they mean. Like, how do we get even the meaning now to come out of this? But this is what happens with Jesus. Jesus provides an answer. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And that was in verse 47. Now, repentance. These are Christianese words we throw around a little too quickly. Repentance. New way of life. You're going this way, but now you're going that way. Right? So, uh, the women go into the tomb this way, and now they're sent that way. Cleopas and the disciples are going that way, now they're sent this way. Eleven apostles are going this way, and they're sent that way. They have a whole new way of life that's defined by this empty tomb, by life itself, by resurrection. And then the forgiveness of sins, which means a variety of things. But small catechism is pretty helpful. In the explanation of the Lord's Supper, where there's the forgiveness of sins, there is Maryland, absolutely, life and salvation. Um, but in order to understand this, this little sentence from Jesus, guess what you have to do? Well, not only believe, but you've got to go through the entire story. You've got to go to back to Luke 1.1 1, 1, and read that thing, and then, oh. But not just that, though. What else do you have to do? You've got to keep reading. You've got to keep going. So the, now apply to your own lives. What are the death and, re, death and resurrection events? I think the, the, the easy part is the death part. What are death events in your life? I, you know, I listed a few. Divorce. Loved one's death. I mean, that, that's kind of, you know, the loss of a loved one. Unemployment, fractured family, depression, et cetera, et cetera. Something that takes away life from you. And, and now the resurrection. is The resurrection is the fact that you're talking about these events and you want someone to help. Because the two disciples, Mary and the eleven apostles, are all have experienced this death, and now they're, they're they're desiring somebody to come along and tell them it's changed. You thought death was here, but life is here. And and so that's you know obviously as a church, this is where the role of the pastor will come in, the role of the Word of God, Jesus Himself. What is the meaning though? The meaning is the forgiveness of sins, which applies to the specific stories. So think about your death and resurrection events and how repentance. So we're not going to go back to the way we used to live. We're not going to go back to that way. We're not going to let that past hold us down. We're going to let that be and realize everything that did happen, though, came to this point this moment, this middle, the, Jesus is the one who stands in the middle of time. And now we're in this, this section, or as if you want to use the guy who jumped in the hole, we're at the point now where the guy, our friend jumped into the hole, and he said, hey, you're in a hole, but guess what, I know the way out. And so now what is your, what are you going to do? You, are you going to follow or are you going to stay in your hole? 
Um, yeah, what does the forgiveness of sins give to meaning within the events of death? I really needed to proofread this, but hopefully you understand what I, I meant. Um, is that, so, so that's the thing is that, so now you've got it, oftentimes forgiveness, just forgiving somebody, saying I forgive you, is often involved. But even something more, that goes back to the small catechism. Where is the forgiveness of sins? There's life and salvation. Are you going to see this thing, this tragedy that happened, are you going to see it in terms of a new start, or are you going to see it simply as a tragedy? Because what the death and resurrection does is it takes a, 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 a tragedy, the most tragic moment in life, and says, this is the beginning of a new life. Well, you, you came, you came, thought coming to this... You thought you coming to the hole was going to be a moment of death, but guess what? We're wrong. You're just wrong. And that's the great thing about the two, two men. They, you know, they're not like, oh, yeah, I understand why you're here. Interesting. They say, no, you're wrong. And go. Go back. Tell the 11 that Jesus is risen. Holly. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. But, and this is the interesting thing is that, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with Holly. Um, never disagree with your wife, especially publicly. No, I, I am teasing. I'm joking. This is actually true. Um, we'll have to wrap it up here. I just, uh, it, 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 all, okay, so yeah, so, um, oh boy. Well, maybe no, no, no. I, in fact, uh, because this is what the this is what Acts is all about. Is Acts ends with Paul in Rome, but Paul talking about hope, and it's imminent death for Paul. You know he's going to die, but it's all about hope and and, and resurrection. So. As a congregation, yeah, what Holly just said is absolutely correct. And unfortunately, they're still, you know, still struggling to figure out how things can, can get out of the hole. But in each circumstance, were the women by themselves? I mean, was, it, was there just one woman? Was there just one disciple on the road to Emmaus? Was there just one apostle? No. There was a community. This is very important. Notice how the community was involved and that we're wrestling with what's going on. Jesus shows up and says, this is the way. And then together we can say, no matter how hard this was, we're going we're to go this way. We're going to follow Jesus and the ones he's put in his place and then engage in the new life. Let's pray. A couple minutes over.